0: I'm Jez Benton, and this is Route to the Top. I'll be meeting with a whole range of leaders. We'll climb a mountain together and do a video podcast from the summit. <laughs> in this episode, we're in Iceland, on a glacial ice cap, Lonk Glacier, with Cara Raguel. She's the president and CEO of Gen Re, which is one of the world's largest reinsurance companies. Tell us your story, your route to the top from the early days of being an actuary at Cigna through to now being the presidency of Genry.
1: Thank you for asking. Um, I'm grateful, as I said, to be here um, and grateful for the opportunity that I got at Genry, which is a Berkshire Hathaway company. So I started as a little little girl who loved math, and I didn't know what to do with it, so I became an actuary uh, with a BS background in math, and I still don't understand that that means you work for an insurance company. And I ended up working for an insurance company, and I just kept saying yes to everything that came my way. And uh, as much as I am the most risk adverse, being the insurance person um, in the friend group that I have with Jazz, um, I was saying yes and brave in a work environment. So I learned how to just to keep going, you know, no matter what, and. I found myself lucky enough to have an opportunity to work for Berkshire in a different part of the group. Right. And I just kept saying yes. So made my way through California, uh, India, missile bond insurance in New York, and eventually in Stanford, Connecticut with Jen Ray.
0: So what you said, you, you say yes, insurance can be a business of yeses and nos. Yes. You know, I've experienced both as a, as a consumer of insurance. Um, So in the face of, you know, rising through an organization, loving math, finding insurance, what enabled you to continue saying, yes, I'll do this. Yes, I'll do that instead of, oh, no, actually, I'm not sure.
1: Right. I think it happens to most of us in life. I promise myself that unless I can come up with a good reason to say no, I'm going to say yes. So I kind of work through my head all the reasons to say no. Um, and through my reasons to say no, I couldn't find any good one for most of the time that I was given an opportunity. You might be scared. You might be nervous. You think you're going to fail. But to me, they weren't good reasons. Okay. So I, I found my braveness through work, not through a lot of other ways in <laughs> my life, but through work. I certainly <laughs> did.
0: That's great. Um, uh, so give me some uh, you talked about, you know, finding braveness. Uh, how does how does it feel going into it? How does it feel once you found it?
1: Yeah, so I don't think of myself as that uh, courageous, but I will tell you that when I'm probably at my most scared, I'm not wired to retreat. I'm wired to power through, sometimes through tears. Um, usually with a lot of support of people around you that you learn to trust and respect. And all you need sometimes a little nudge of keep going, whether it's internal or external. So I definitely have had some really, really bad days and days where I go, this isn't worth it. And almost in every scenario that I can think of, when you get to the other side of that anxiety or that fear, you get proud of what you've accomplished and you get to do it with a lot of people that you enjoy spending time with. And that to me has always been a part of the opportunity um, and enjoyment that I've gotten out of work and the the pride is doing it with a team of people that you really would do anything for in that environment.
0: When when you think about building the culture at Genry, leading that organization, are you consciously thinking about the kind of environment that you want to that you want to create and that you're leading?
1: I think I think of some things and they have a, a impact that I don't appreciate. So I believe in like respecting and valuing the people around you and and building that trust together like you're in it together it doesn't matter what your role is on that specific team or where you are in the hierarchy of a company I believe that you have to believe you're in it together and if you believe that you can be honest with each other you need to be respectful and professional when you disagree but it creates a community that's willing to take risk willing to speak their mind and all that turns into You know, us being able to deliver the best we can for, you know, I call the three legged stool, right? The shareholder, the client and the employee and the associates in that situation get to be trusted, you know, in their environment on a daily basis to show up and do their best. We are going to make mistakes. Like so the first thing I think of almost, you know, every day is like what I wish I didn't do yesterday, that I can do better today and keep improving on that basis. But it, you don't ever think of it as a fatal flaw. You think about it as how do I do better? And if we're all thinking that way, and we all support each other. I think we can accomplish great things. So there's a culture of value and that respect and that trust that turns into what I think is uh, smart risk, right? And enjoying each other's company and making sure that every person we add to the team is going to contribute to that team in a way that makes us, I call it, more valuable or more powerful as a group.
0: Mm. Well, you mentioned that you, you know, you, you, don't, you, you, you pulled me back a second ago. You said, oh, I don't have an office, we sit in cubes, right? So that, that's a physical manifestation Correct. of the culture that you're. That you're trying to create uh, how else does it manifest itself what do, what do you see around the place
1: I just we we all want to help each other out so we have a, a management team that's very flat um, and we all are in cubes and anyone can walk up at any point in time like there's been days when I've been in tears and someone's walking up and I'm like oh but like you're there and that's the honest the truth right I have good days and bad days like everybody else does but I see the ability for us to be fluid and who has the free time or can this team help out this team and we win more if we help each other and that's part of that culture so I see it in you know, we have different divisions, but if one division is busier at a certain time than others, there's fluidity in how they they support each other and allows us to actually like deliver better value to our clients on that basis. Someone will take initiative and step up to try to help out. Like it's not about my fiefdom, it's about making Genry better for the value of our clients. And I couldn't be more proud of how we work together as teams, but as individuals, right? In that holistic way.
0: So why did you choose to do it that way? Because you could have chosen to have offices and, and groups and walls and silos and and this, that, you know, many organisations that will make very different choices about its culture. Why, why did you choose that way? Is it a reflection of you? Is it a reflection of what what the client needs at the end of the day is it amalgamation of all of those things you know
1: yeah amalgamation so they were already i joined six years ago Mm -hmm. six and a half years ago they were already in that environment but i was sitting on a different floor than most of the people i worked with on a daily basis and i didn't like that removal like i didn't feel like i was understanding well enough what happens you know the day of the life of so many different roles in the organization so i moved downstairs so some of it's them some of it's me and i think the The more I can get clarity of how the organization works and get that transparency, the better decision making I can get to help the company be better, but make better decisions on on behalf of them. So I've done a couple days where it's like the day in the life of a different role where you're actually trying to figure out what someone is actually doing. Like then they sit at their desk all day. What are they doing? Because I don't understand that kind of how I came into the organization. So I definitely think it's the organization, but it's also me. And to be honest with you, there's no other way I thought about doing it because I believe in being in it together like that's just kind of a wiring thing but the organization was already doing it together so I feel like I fit right in on that and just tried to help improve it for our decision making
0: yeah that's what I was going to say it sounds like you found a place where you fit as well it wasn't like anti-cara kind of oh you know I'm not comfortable here this doesn't feel right to me
1: yeah that took a little while to be honest when I first came in Jenry was Um, in a point in the marketplace and their culture where that we need to go through some change and if you don't know me yet and of course change is scary even when you do know somebody so I think it took a little while for me to get my sea legs in my role and that that anxiety and fear that kind of comes out um, settles down in that I just and someone gave me this advice and I'll never forget it it's just I think they said to me I think Jeremy needs a little bit more of you and I was not sure how to be me in an executive role that's right. kind yeah, of yeah. Like, how much
0: do you need to become more like jenry right, versus Jen right Rhee becoming more like you right
1: and i remember when that gentleman said that to me it was at a lunch um he was a prior client of the firm and he was just there to help out Genry and me and i felt the tears kind of gently fall a little bit of relief because i was struggling not as being as me as I wanted to be. And as soon as I kind of got comfortable with that, I think this settled down of the whole organization. Like you have that reverberation of your own experiences. So like we got there together but it took me a while to have that happen so i did find a place but i also think at some point that's the culture and when we've interviewed people and we definitely have some people from the outside come in like that attracts them as well so oh, yeah. you start to build it because the people who succeed in it are the ones that are wired to say i want to do it together i don't want to sit in ivory tower
0: yeah if you can and if you have that clarity of being able to articulate the culture it becomes what we would call in our industry an employee value proposition you know, right what, what is our value proposition to employees outside of who we are and what we do you know it's how we do it and what's it like to be here right Um, so
1: so i say we're a doer culture like we want people who are going to do and because we're a direct reinsurer we face off with our clients literally directly in their offices trying to help them do things so i want everyone there not handing off to somebody else but think about how they can help solve that problem or who we bring in to help solve that problem so it gets to the i'm not just here to take information and then pass along i want us to be teams doing that for them so it fits very well in with what we deliver to our clients as well
0: Now, I'm going to dig into a little bit into the business, if that's okay. Yeah. A bit about culture. I'm going to come back to leadership in a moment. Um, A lot of my audience um, probably won't know the reinsurance industry. Uh, I've worked, you know, I I think the first dance with reinsurance was with Swiss Re early on in my career. We were doing their uh, transformative leadership series, which was for the top 250 executives globally. So that was the the first time I... I, uh, i I got to understand what it's about and the kind of things that you have to think about so give us the quick you know reinsurance 101 and and the kind of crazy stuff that you that you have to think about particularly as we're sat here on the top of a beautiful glacier which we know is receding and you know we have climate-based issues we have a, a, a whole bunch of other things going on but I'd love to hear that kind of story.
1: Yeah, so the simplest one I think is uh, is catastrophe insurance. So let's, and hurricanes have been in the news recently. We just had Hurricane Ian come through a couple of weeks ago. So reinsurance is just insurance for insurance companies. So any individual house, most insurance companies can insure the whole house for most houses. But when you add up all the houses, say in Naples or Fort Myers, it becomes um, an aggregation of risk. And that's where, like just like in your personal life, you might be able to handle, you know, breaking a vase in your house, but not losing your whole home. So for insurance companies, they buy catastrophe reinsurance from reinsurance companies, and there's lots of. Various ones that do that. Swiss Re is also a formidable competitor of ours um, on that basis. So different reinsurers share in that risk typically. So everything becomes an industry event is what we call it. So one of the issues with hurricane insurance right now is trying to figure out the return periods for these events. Like how often is a hurricane gonna hit Florida? How often is a hurricane gonna hit Louisiana? And we've had some years recently that have happened more often than we've expected. And we're trying to take a bunch of data with lots of history, like NOAA, the National Hurricane Center, does a great job of aggregating data, but how is the world different today than it was 50 years ago? And how relevant is that data? And how many more homes are sitting on the coast of Florida compared to what it was? And what's the sea level? And how warm is the water temperature? And how big is the hurricane going to be? So all these things that have nothing to do with insurance but have to do with weather, let's call it. But when you add it all up, like just building a home today versus a home two years ago with inflation, like the inflationary impact of cost of lumber and cost of labor So like all these things are going into a a model and they tend not to be perfect and you have to adjust them and then you should use use your judgment on how much to rely on the model. But our industry has had a tough time in the last five or six years because weather patterns have been changing. And are they permanent? Is it climate change? What does one degree difference in the earth mean? Like what does El Niño versus El Niño do? You're just like, you could get your head spinning really fast as you're trying to put down bets effectively. It's calculated risk and you're getting paid for it. And that's the fun part of the business is trying to figure out how best to price that business, what's the right return on that risk, ensuring a restaurant for... A general liability slip and fall claim is different than, you know, is there a big c- category five hurricane heading for Miami? So there's a lot of things that keep me up at night. You're aware of many of them because <laughs> we talk about them. Um, just as we walk in through the ice cave, the ice caves here are only, I think, seven or eight years old. And I start to get twitchy. It's like only eight years of data. I want to know what happens after 20 years. I don't have that information. Like, Should my brain... I take another step right. forward or is this a step right, back? Right, right. Yeah. And your, your brain just goes to analytical, right? You're trying to collect information, evaluate that information, quantify that information and then figure out whether you have enough to actually put shareholder capital at risk or say, I'm not going to play this way, or I want to play, but I want to play at this price. Yeah. And you got to be willing to walk away. And that's one of the best things about Berkshire Hathaway is they give us the freedom and the confidence to have a balance sheet that's so strong, but we also aren't going to take risks that we don't think is getting paid properly or aggregate. Cyber insurance is another one that we could spend hours on, not at the top of a glacier, <laughs> but like how to quantify cyber insurance, cyber risk right, and how to price it and what the yeah. terms and forms and all that kind of good stuff. So
0: it's yeah, a lot. It's a, yeah, it's a lot. But I, I, but you live it and breathe it. Like you said, you're walking down the ice cave. They say seven years worth of ice, and and you, I, we, I can see you doing the calculations in your head. And then you'll ask a couple of questions to enable you to do a couple more calculations. And then you're going to decide again whether you're going to take one step forward into this ice cave further, or whether you're going to take one step back. So, you know that that way of you work that way, and you you also live that way. You know, you're always constantly processing information and data, and doing the
1: math on it, and making decisions. Right, it's, personal and professional. Yeah. As I said, I'm a little bit braver at work than I am in my personal life, but <laughs> we can deal with that on another another call, on another, on, talk, on another talk, right? Yeah. So I want
0: to want to talk about clients r- really quickly, because obviously you, you lead a you're leading the organisation, you're leading teams, people. We talked about the culture of Genry. Um, but you're also on the road a lot, and you're with clients, and you have long-standing relationships with with, with clients. So, just talk to me about that side. I published a a post recently on LinkedIn that said, um, does Does your CEO know their clients? Because my 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 belief is is if you're too far removed yes. from the client uh, base and you're just focused internally. Then there's not enough balance there from a leadership standpoint. You really need to know and understand your clients, the product. Um, you know, I, I think the title of the thing was, "Does your CEO sell?" You know, uh, you know, so so that side of of your world. And then I'd love to know time spent, in, or, or mental and 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 emotional time spent between leading the organisation, its people, etc. And and clients, like yeah. balancing
1: the two Yeah, so just starting with the second half of that. Mm. So it changes over time. So I felt like in the beginning, when I when I first joined, I was, I I wanted to figure out the client side first. If I understood that, then I wanted to kind of work from the outside in. So Genry for a while had been a more insular organization. So I felt strongly um, and so did the gentleman that I worked for, that I get out, right? And, and get that experience to understand that. One of the great things about my role being responsible for North America is I visited lots of companies all over the country. So McPherson, Kansas, pecan Illinois, make in Georgia as well as some of the big cities that everybody knows. So when you get to different parts of the country and a lot of it being a little bit more rural or less than a typical northeast experience that most of us had in business in the New York area, New York and London and, and I'll say Mumbai, India all kind of work similarly in some ways and different in others, but there's a lot of diversity inside the U.S. specifically. So I learned a lot from those experiences, those visits. I get to travel with different people inside the organization. So I learned Um, I learn from them, they learn from me, I hope, in those as well. So I get to know Jen like in the team, as well as the client side. So in my first year, I spent a lot of time on the road. I still spend a lot of time on the road, it's just ratio is different. So during COVID with being locked down, that was one of the panics, you know, I'd say that we had as a as a group, I probably panicked harder, but like we can't get out. And we have a lot of people that are on the road all the time, like, well, how are we going to interact with our clients? How are we going to have those experiences? How are we going to learn? Because we're so used to doing it with, I call it feet on the street, right, out there. So we had to adjust of how we took care of things. But that was a time where I spent probably more time on underwriting, which is more of a, what our guidelines look like. How do we want to handle COVID? Do we put exclusions on? Do we cap things? How do we feel about the exposure? What is this going to cost us? How do we figure out our reserves? So there's all these other evaluations that at that time, I felt like I was very focused on, like how do we defend the capital right now and figure that out so that we can get out again, right? And have that experience uh, with clients and figure out how to support them as best we can. So I'm constantly believing that my job should change. I won't say every day, but every year I go, if I did the same thing I did last year, then I don't think that's the best thing for Jen Ray. So how do I figure out what's the right thing for me to do in my role, like for the next six to 12 months? And you can go to 18 or 24 or five years, however you want to think about it. But I know it's not what I did. Looking backwards, so I'm constantly trying to figure out when I should be out, when I should be in, when I should be asking questions. And what are those
0: indicators? Because I've talked um, uh, talk a lot about sort of contextual leadership, you know, scanning the environment, clients, what's happening, and, and making very conscious decisions and uh, and taking conscious action based on contextual changes. So I'm assuming that that's one of the things that you're looking at. So what are the big influences yeah. for you from a decision-making standpoint?
1: So listening is a huge part of my role, um, and I work on that every. day Um, so you're going to listen respond and then figure out how to react to it and also get ahead of some things as well so listening to clients matters, but listening to the team as well sometimes that's my direct report sometimes it's for people in the organization Um, sometimes as i said it's clients and hearing what what they need so for me if I feel a certain part of the Genry engine isn't necessarily working as well as we want it to or keeping up with the rest. So there's an evolution around the organization. And I think that you can do things, like we all have strengths and weaknesses, and if you focus too much on your strengths, right, then your weaknesses get even more amplified. So you have to kind of peel back and focus on that. So I would say it's the listening side of things. Um, Exhaustion and burnout is a big issue for me right now. So I'm trying to figure out if the management team, which teams are going the hardest, how do we solve resources for them, whether it's permanent resources or temporary resources. So it's the constant adjustment of it's, I say it's not enough, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's like the how can we help these teams, Work better, and I say efficient or effective. We can define what those different words mean, but um, it's the it's that reevaluation. Like, is this is this the way it should be? How do I get more support? How do we peel back a little bit, right? So you're you're listening. It's the best way I think I could put it. That's put
0: it great. Um, that that leads me to uh, towards the end of this conversation, which is: Did you think about your own leadership and your own styles or traits or whatever? How would you how would you describe that? Well, how would others describe, describe yeah. you is that an easier way of, yeah. of, of, of going at it
1: i'm not good at i'm probably describing myself as much um i care i think the the thing about myself that it's taken me a couple decades to figure out um my brain is something that's valuable to many but my heart is almost as more valuable in combination with my brain so once others can figure out how much I care that kind of pushes down those walls to allow that, as I said, trust and building something together. So the accessibility of me as an executive, I think is something that's unique and my desire and I work at it to make sure that whoever I'm with feels comfortable enough to be honest and then that helps me be better at making the organization as best as it can be, you know, for the associates, for the shareholders, for the clients on that basis. Um, and there's different times where they they tilt, right? Depending on what's going on in the world. But the accessibility is probably the one that, that I think someone would say that would make me the most unique. But it's because I care so much that I want to make sure I understand and, and do the best I can. And I'm grateful for the the six years I've had at January. I hope to have many more. And it took a village to get me to where I am. And it's going to take a village for me to, you know, get everyone, together to do what we want to do next. So I just keep looking forward, waking up every day, going, how can we keep doing this together as a team, having fun and, and finding success?
0: Yeah. It's a village, but it's it's a positive, energized, interested, excited village of people, by the same.
1: Absolutely, and that, that's what's so awesome, because at the end of the day, you know, like almost everything in life, what you take away from it is the memories that you have with someone climbing a glacier or driving <laughs> in a truck up a glacier, right? And sitting here and have this conversation, right? That experience with you, like matters to me, and and I hope I've done right by you oh, in the yeah. conversation. Oh, so, absolutely! And I look forward to listening to your other, uh, Root of the Tops. The other route to the top. The Roots to the top. Yes.
0: Final yes. question. I swear this is the final question. Uh, top tips. Anybody else that's looking to lead the kind of organization that you lead? You know, very technical, focused on macro trends. Leading a group of very bright, intellectual folks. Three top tips for leadership.
1: So one is just learn. So you can learn by reading. You can learn by listening. But learning as much as you can to get all that information right into your your processor, your intel chip, I think is one. So learning is a huge one. Um, Learning to do it with people, like trying not to do it by yourself because you can't do it by yourself. So figuring out how to find the right people around you that you can do it together, I would say. And being honest with yourself about what you can and cannot do as an organization. So as individuals, but as an organization. So trying not to get, especially in the business we're in about taking risk, really being clear with yourself about what you think you can quantify and, and how to figure out how to take that risk smartly.
0: Yeah. Now I'm going to build on one of those questions. Sorry to do this, but I can't not. So um, to, for my audience, one of the things that you should know is is that questions aren't sent in advance. Um, answers aren't scripted, there's nobody standing here holding up, now say this, do that, do the other so this is all in the moment, authentic conversation I hope that comes through in the style of this whole thing um, but my business is about learning <laughs> leadership development and learning and one of the things that we talk about is transformative learning, so those, those moments that you have in your career that really transform and change you as a person, the way in which you lead, act think and when we design programs we're constantly looking for methodologies to to bring transformative learning to life so can you put your finger on the last time you had a transformative learning moment
1: Uh. The last time was hard but i can think of one in the beginning if okay. that's okay yeah all right yeah, let's so, not do a horrible one so instead. i i i really don't enjoy public speaking it's i like small groups i like intimate settings but i don't enjoy large groups and the first time i had to do that for january which is definitely part of the job i really struggled and i didn't know what to do um and i don't think i did a great job at it i don't think i was prepared the way i should have been um and i got the client survey back and it and i was i was home on a snowy day kind of stuck in the house and i just got pummeled oh. um which yeah which yeah, was painful feedback i texted yeah. a friend she's like called me right away what's wrong i'm like oh i did a bad job and i googled what had not to beat yourself up because i was sitting there beating myself up and you know there's a lot of information that when you google something like that on the internet and it was like start the next one as soon as you possibly can so i went in the next day and i asked for the template generate template for a powerpoint and i started my next presentation on day one effectively and I don't remember how it was many months in the future which was not what i was thinking that i would no, need to go do and then the next time i did better and i've constantly just trying to and i say it'd be nice to get an a but from where i came from on poke speaking side and the more comfortable i've gotten on stage i have a little bit more confidence doing and i still don't enjoy it but i know it's important and i i value that i need to work on that but that get that client survey that like just was very honest so i give my clients credit or our clients a generally credit right for for giving me the feedback to make me better yeah. but that one was a that was a tough
0: day yeah it was a tough day. We, we we talk about meaning motivation and momentum it, 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 as, as part of transformative learning and uh it sounds, it sounds like you made meaning out of that from that survey so as- feed, feedback is a big piece of helping us create meaning in, in the world and then sort of what's my what's my motivation to do different and better yeah. ne- next time oh, i'm going to get another audience i i have clients i have a reputation i don't want to read that yeah you don't want that feedback again no. and then and then momentum is all right, i i got to get back on the horse i got to do, right. do it again i got to do it again i got to do it and i'm going to keep getting feedback right. and feedback and
1: right feedback. right so that i read those client surveys with a lot of <laughs> <laughs> i say trepidation <laughs> but if you know what you get you get honesty there and i've always valued the honesty over the discomfort that was a painful day i was disappointed in myself and i knew it coming off the stage but when you read it and and but it's like but like everything else in life you pick yourself back up and you go what am i going to do differently next time and if you ever google how not to beat yourself up there's a couple ideas that they have out there for how to do it and mine was to start the next day which i did so
0: that's great well talking about the next day i think it's time to get back in the vehicle get down and get some dinner yes um, ready to start our next day which is another day of adventures in Iceland
1: thank you Chas thanks very much
0: love it
1: awesome thank you thank you